Hey everybody, it is episode 99 of the Running Rogue podcast. Steve and Chris coming at you from Austin, Texas. How are you doing today, Steve? I'm fantastic. How are you, Chris? I'm doing well. Excited to be coming to our listeners today on this 99th episode. One shy of 100. Super exciting. Still trying to plan something interesting and big for number 100, so stay tuned on that. Today's content... We're going to obviously, as we normally do, post a big race, give a, a solid recap of New York in our intro. And then for our main topic, we're going to talk a little bit about maintenance plans. So if you're in a place where you're maybe transitioning between programs or potentially needing a break from training for a specific race, how do you go about maintaining fitness and perhaps working on some weaknesses during that time period so that when you get back into formal training, you're ready to roll and ideally are starting from a little higher place. So we're going to cover that with our main topic once we get there. And of course, we could probably spend a whole episode, Steve, just talking about New York. Goodness you know, gracious. We, Isn't that we true? Went, <laughs> we went three hours and 10 or 15 minutes or so on Sunday going over it on the live feed and appreciate everybody who tuned in to watch us do that. So. As we go into this, we're not going to give you the play-by-play. We're assuming you guys have either watched it or caught up on what went down in those races, but instead we'll just kind of do some takeaways from New York, and Steve and I are just going to kind of lob those back and forth at each other. I'll start here, Steve, and I think I've got a new nickname for Mary Katani. <laughs> I think I want to I want to call her Queen Katani from here on out. <laughs> I mean, her result was just unbelievable. Obviously, she was helped and assisted in her move just before the Queensboro Bridge of starting to drop those crazy miles by Gadetta and Tusa, but you know, she fairly quickly dispatched them and was able to hold basically sub world record marathon pace for the last half of this marathon on a tough New York course, doing it without faltering in any way. When you break down the two halves of the race, she ran a 106.58 second half, which is just absolutely insane. Good for the seventh fastest second half in the race. I mean, she ran faster for the second half than all but six of the men including the top five and Scott Fauble, who finished seventh. So that's just absolutely unreal to secure her fourth New York. And I believe this was her seventh New York. She's gotten third twice, second, and now four wins. Just absolutely dominating performance to go to win going away without ever being challenged after she made her break. So, where does this put her? I mean, this obviously puts her in that GOAT conversation. But where does it put her against the Paula Radcliffe or a Catherine Dureba of the world? Well, first of all, when you talk about it, I just want to riff a little bit off your about the half that you discussed, you know, her second yeah. half. Not only was she faster than the men, which is than, than most of the men, right? That That's crazy to think that she was the seventh, fa- the, she ran the seventh fastest time of any human, of anybody on that day on the last half of the course, male or female. That's amazing. But she also ran the third fastest time any woman has ever run ever for a half marathon 
on the second half of this race course, which right. we've seen before silly moves, Gudetta being one who's done this in the past where they run really screaming crazy fast for the first half, but nobody, but the winner runs at that ha- that fast on the back half and to run at the, that fast on the back half and to be the third fastest of all time, Chris, it's just, it's just amazing. You know, you, you asked for takeaways. The first on my list is Katani is a beast. You call her the queen. I call her a beast. It doesn't really matter. It, she, what she has done here first off, and when we discussed going into the next cycles of, you know, this was the sort of, in, in a lot of ways, the last major marathon of the year. We won't be talking about major marathons until we get to April and May, you know, we get to um, April of this next year. So, um, as we do, we're going to all be thinking about who is the great, who's going to be winning the next races. And anytime Mary Katani is on a starting line, I think you and I have a pretty good pick of who's going to win the race. <laughs> you, you picked her this time. I didn't, but I think the way that the veneration with which Molly Huddle and, uh, and Shalane Flanagan held this performance from Mary Katani in their post-race interviews is if that is in any way indicative of the way the rest of the world feels, which I think it probably is is that she's incredible and that this distance hers in my mind, this performance was so amazing that it distance her it distances her from her contemporaries at this point. Of course, any given race is a foot race, but it distances her. So now coming back to your main question, which is where does this place her in the list of all time? Well, I mean, you're never going to, unfortunately she's almost never going to get the greatest New York racer of all time because Greta Weitz has that. And so that's almost kind of like if you can't be the greatest of all time at your own at one race, can you be the greatest of all time across the board? Well, I think we need a few more races from Katani and a couple other places. But, you know, she looks to me to be the prohibitive favorite for the gold medal at the Olympics. Should you get on that starting line? You know, she hasn't in the past, so she might not. Um, But she's certainly, in my mind, top three in the world of all history in the marathon. And where else? And and. And she's also distanced herself in what I would consider probably the greatest. Um, we are currently watching women running the best that we've ever seen in the marathon from a depth perspective. And she just ran herself away from everyone. When you said that she was running faster than world record pace at the end of this, that everyone needs to be reminded that that world record is something no one ever thought anybody was going to be able to touch for an extended period of time at 2.15, the one that Paula Radcliffe has. And I think you and I both, Chris, would say, if there's a woman that could break the world record, we're we're, we're talking about Mary Katani. So we shall see if she can get those final two pieces of the puzzle, because if she does, that would definitely put her at the top of the heap. So, what's your what's your first takeaway, Steve? After after we gave ample homage to Queen Katani. Well, it's it's basically the first thing I wrote down is. Katata is real. <laughs> um, <laughs> he didn't win this race, but he made this race in every way possible. And DeCisa will be always remembered for the one who won this one, Chris. But the man who made this race from the gun to the finish line all the way through and was the major storyline in my mind um, for this race um, was definitely Katata. The way he the way he raced and the level of competition and his attitude and his approach, he kept fighting all the way to the finish. I mean, just absolutely amazing in my, in my view. And um, although, as I said to CISA, we'll get the win here. I think Katata may be the, in the long run, the biggest winner 
um, the way that he, you know, Decisa dispatched Kamor, but Kamor did not respond when Katata came by them at those in that last mile there. And um, it seemed like he just went on autopilot, like he had nothing left. But Katata kept fighting and fighting and fighting. And man, I got that one wrong, Chris, all the way, um, completely wrong. And not that I, not that there was much of us to see of him, but I don't think either you nor I will ever forget this race and the part that he played in it. Yeah, I agree with you on Katata. It's weird because in a, in a way, Decisa should be the story because you know he's had. I don't want to say a rough couple of years, but you know, finishing third last year, he hasn't been performing to his standard over the last few years. Having won Boston a couple of times, you know, three plus years ago, it's been a while since he's been really in the mix to win a race. Like, and like this one, and to see him, the way he started to fall apart and still hold it together and hold off, Katata at the end, just really, really impressive finish and shows you that DeCisa is back and he definitely wanted it badly running the second fastest New York ever. But you're right. I mean, Katata was the one really, I mean, DeCisa was with him for a lot of those moves. So you do have to give DeCisa some credit, but Katata was the one throwing haymakers and jabs from the very, very beginning and started on the bridge coming from Staten Island into Brooklyn and, and, Basically, there were little small punches he was making the entire way. And when he could have quit and given up at the end and just let those other two guys get first and second, he came back again and damn near, damn near, damn near won the race. So, so impressive to see this on the back of his New York performance. Two second place results, but it shows you that this is a guy who's definitely somebody to watch for as somebody who could potentially challenge a, a Kipchoge or a Farah in, you know, the 2020 Olympics. So we will see for Katata. Yeah. yeah, Chris, there was a little bit of a thread after the race. I read uh, in some of the stuff that I read about um, the fact that it seemed like to some that Katata and Decisa may have been working together in some way. Uh, you know, I didn't see that on the course, I never noticed it. It looked to me like DeCisa was just riding as easily as possible, like Joffrey Comore was. They were both trying to do as little work as possible. And, you know, Comore and Kipchoge are training partners. So what will that look like? And are, is there sort of a teamwork angle that could get played in here? I don't see the Kenyans working that way, but we have a long story tradition of Ethiopians training and racing in cahoots. Um and so, and Kenyans have too, but usually it's much more about their own personal self-interest. So anyway, I think it brings up some interesting storylines going into 2019. And then, of course, towards, I think, what you and I are most excited about, which is what's going to happen in the 2020 Olympics. Because <laughs> both in the U.S. and in the world, this marathon, these marathon fields are looking more and more amazing. And more and more like some of the greatest races that may ever be run, it, it's, they seem to be playing out that way. At least I'm getting excited for them. Yeah. The the thing to me, you know, I, I said earlier, I believe in our live call that it looked like maybe DeCisa and Katata were working together. But as I reflect on it, though, I don't think they necessarily were because Katata was the only one doing the moving. <laughs> you know, DeCisa was always there, but it was Katata that was the sole aggressor, really. 
And that that doesn't seem fair unless he had just said, hey, Decisa, I'm doing this for you. But that doesn't seem right either. It didn't look like that was where it was playing out. And he he would not have made such a concerted effort to uh, to put Camwar away. He would, have ta- he would put Camwar away and waited, but he didn't. He was definitely coming for his teammate. Yeah. <laughs> so my next takeaway is simply that I think Shalane's done, and I hope that it's that she takes the proper bow now. Because oh, look at you throwing your the, the 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 bow as in, you know, officially declares retirement and really allows us to celebrate her career the way it should be celebrated. You know, as we saw her in that pre-race press conference, that seemed to be the tone that she was talking about serving others more, and it was time for that. I think the, this performance where she was able to get on the podium in in a fashion that was really impressive and was worthy of a final race behind only the great Chiriot and, and Katani, I think means that she can go out on top in a sense and go out with pride that she put her best effort on her into her final race. And I, I look to her, you know, to, to go into coaching with the Bowerman Track Club as she's already doing in a sense as sort of a de facto assistant with Jerry. And then I think she's got so many other possibilities in terms of her career from obviously continued work around her cookbooks to, you know, I think we'll see her calling races, you know, like she did in Boston. She was phenomenal that year in Boston. And I think that was 2016. Yeah. So, you know, I think Carrie Tolfson has... 2017, I think. 2017. Yeah, yeah, 2017. Yeah. yeah. Carrie Tolleson has some competition coming in Shalane for sure for that role. And so what my my gut tells me that she's done, that she'll uh, officially announce her retirement at some point. I would suspect that she'll first get her ducks in a row around that, including negotiating whatever ongoing contract she's going to have with Nike, negotiating perhaps a media-related deal as well so that she can sort of put the pieces together in place before she makes the official announcement. But I believe that's coming. I hope it's coming. And what a story career. You said, debated me a little bit in the telecast, that she might be the GOAT of U.S. marathoners. I mentioned Dina Castor. We, we didn't even mention Joan Benoit at the, in the moment. I don't think you could put her above Joan Benoit because of the gold medal in terms of the marathon. But she would slot into that third spot, in my opinion, definitively in terms of the the top three U.S. marathoners of all time. What do you think? Well, I hope she doesn't retire right now. (laughs) So I think she could make it to 2020. I don't think she has to race much. I think she could race one more time. Um, Make sure she gets in the window if she hasn't already gotten in the window of what her qualifier is needed for the trials. Well, trials qualifying is already open, so she's already qualified. So there's not much she has to do, and I think she might make a team, and I think that would be a great way to bow out. Now, she might say that's too long to wait, but really what is she waiting for? She's still going to put in 50, 60, 70 miles a week, you guarantee. I don't know. I just think that I see what you're saying, and I know exactly what you're talking about, and I, I, I do have a part of me that agrees with your reasoning there. But... I think she should stay on through the trials and make a team and give us our best shot at the games. 
I think she makes the team the way she's racing right now. Um, if she'd waited, you she know, would, she would be my number one seed. Yeah. So who's going out? I and mean, that's going out way on top, like way, way on top. So we'll see. It'll be interesting to play that out. It, of course, we're here. We are talking about her life. She, she can do as she chooses. She is. Um, she's in the last two years. I have gone from a Shalane meh to a Shalane fan. And I'm thankful and grateful for the amount of time she has been in the sport for me to see the kind of class and the kind of toughness that she's brought to the sport. And if she had stopped two years ago, I wouldn't consider her for much. But now I'm grateful and thankful that she's been able to have the career that she has to this point. Now, when you talk about the third, you got Dez now who's in that mix too. She hasn't run as fast, which is problematic, but pretty close. And she hasn't run. Anyway, there. There's a lot of there's a lot more going on with all of that. We're not going to sit here and discuss the top we three American marathoners. That. We can debate that. But I do say that retire. I was absolutely miss I misspoke definitively when I did not put Dina in the first position. So perhaps I was feeling the moment. Um, it was a long, long weekend, Chris. It was, and that was the end of a very long, long weekend. So anyway, I think you're. Um, We'll see. We'll see what happens with the great Shalane Flanagan. And um, regardless, we look forward to seeing her in whatever capacity we see her. And this was a really impressive result from her. It wasn't the win like she got last year, but in a lot of ways, as good a race in a sense. And you can't control what happens with the others. But she ran faster time, finished really strongly, closed hard, left everything on the course. So hats off to Shalane. Okay, what's your next takeaway, Steve? Molly is real. Oh, And shit. we were wrong. You have that one on your list, too, no, I'm sure. No, I don't, actually. I, like, I want to debate this. Okay, I, I well, had I a think, different name in, right. that, in that same similar vein. Well, I think Molly's real, at least real enough for us to... St- I can stop. I will stop hating on her prior to races. I'll still wait to see another definitive move at the marathon, and uh, I'll still be critical of her seeming her seeming desire to straddle both sides of a of of a discipline that you can't straddle in my opinion you can't be a great 5k 10k runner and a great marathoner at the same time i think you can be a great runner that allows you to be good at both those things but you can't be great at one in the way you need to if you're not if you're not specific so but um there was a lot of fight in molly on sunday a lot of fight and she was roaring back. Shalane looked like Shalane was soon to be caught. If if the way Molly talked about it, it seemed like she thought she had a chance to catch uh, Shalane if she'd had a little window of time. And what would your estimation be if she had caught her over those final that final mile and went by her? It might be a different story. But regardless, I'm not trying to corn. I'm not trying to give this as the future coronation of the American of a great of the next great American marathoner. There's a lot for us to see out of Molly. But I was I'm I'm very happy that I don't have to I don't have to slag her and I don't have to hate on her for her next marathon because I feel like she I'll I'll still wait and see and I'll probably make a comment like I hope we see the real Molly, I hope we see the New York City two thousand eighteen Molly. Um but I was really I think quietly Molly put aside the big concerns I had about her as a marathoner. I don't know. I don't know if I buy that. Good. I'm glad we have dis- disagreement here. It's awesome. I guess for me, I just don't have enough information. We didn't get to see a lot of Molly. We didn't. 
in any position. So it was hard to see what she was doing. We didn't really see that second pack that she was in for at least a little bit after the Queensboro bridge. So we don't know was she one that was just hanging on or was she trying to make some moves there? It seemed like she was just following Shalane who was following Chariot. And then at the end she got that gap. Now Shalane got a gap, but, and it didn't really extend. It kind of stayed the same and maybe she was coming back a little bit at the end. Certainly, if she'd passed her lane, that would be a completely different story. And I know I was surprised to see her there in fourth when she got there. But I guess the jury's still out for me. I just don't know what this means for Molly yet. And while it does give me hope and sort of a little bit more confidence that she can get the confidence in the marathon that she needs, I just don't know what it means for future races yet. So... I'm going to hold out my... Well, I agree. I, I, I'm still in the same position, but I, I was... I think you were more of a Molly appreciator than I was when we went into it, even as frustrated as you were. I, w- I, was, a, I was on the <laughs> hater side, for sure. So I'm just, re- I'm just moving to neutral. Okay. And <laughs> I think Molly neutral. is another person... You know, when I think about who's going to make an Olympic team, you know... Uh, I, I don't know how you can keep how Molly, I don't know that the way I, the race I saw her run at New York city this year, I don't know how you keep Molly Huddle off that team in the, oh, marath- I agree. In the marathon. I agree. I mean, her talent, her skill level, it certainly would put her in the discussion of a top three seed depending on what Shalane does. But, but my, my commentary on who is real is Ali Kiefer is real. Yeah, but it, well, I already knew that. But anyway, so, so, <laughs> but, but I guess what, I, I don't mean it as real as in, you know, she's a real player. She's going to be a top. No, I mean, she's a real player to make an Olympic team, potentially, in my Agreed. opinion. You know, she ran the fastest last 10K of any of the Americans in the field. And, you know, maybe she is doubting her sort of conservatism in the middle that meant she couldn't catch. But she was gaining on Des at the end, just like Molly might have been gaining on Shalane. And so... What happens if Ali Kiefer passes Des? Then that puts her in a very different conversation. And we know that she's just reaching, I mean, the tip of her potential with the marathon. She's got a good coach in Brad Hudson who she clearly trusts. She's she's confident. She's fearless. She has a good support system around her. She's not afraid to take risks in training, you know, going to train with the Kenyans. She's committed to the marathon. And we don't know. And she's run... She just got a PR at New York in, what, 227 and change and on a tough course. I mean, it tells me that she's somebody that has to be in the conversation to make an Olympic team. And what will a couple more years of development do for her? We don't know. But I think I would love to see her next go race in the fall or sorry, in the spring, go race a fast race. Like if she could get into London potentially and go, you know, go time trial something in the, you know, 223 224 range then that puts her right in the mix right absolutely um and she's uh you know she's for real she's she's built herself from scratch right so she's built herself from the ground up with her coach brad hudson and the hunger you could feel you could feel the hunger out of her she was very hungry at that press conference you could tell loose relaxed having fun with it um but she wasn't looking forward to her vacation that she was that her 
that her coach kept talking about. Mm. She was focused on what she had to get done that day. And then she was ex- focused on what she was going to be doing in the next phase of training, which is going to Kenya for a, a long, considerable period of time. And she's one of the few Americans who's doing that. Um, and so, yeah, I think there we have only great things to be thinking about with Allie. Um, she stays healthy. She continues to string together the kind of training that she's was able to in this cycle. You know, Chris, I saw some of her training logs after in the since since New York yeah, City. Yeah, she tweeted it. And uh, you know, there were a lot of discussions about how that workout sucked, and that workout sucked. It was over. There were there were great workouts, but she you know was unabashed in the fact that those workout the training did not go exactly optimally perfect for her. She was not like we session after session nailed it, nailed it, nailed it. She was critical and worried and a little nervous about it of course when we interviewed her before the race she was like are you in better shape than last year and her answer was a definitive yes with no question and didn't follow that up with any other statement it was just yes i am right so anyway i just think there's a lot more i agree there's a lot more from ali that we'll be seeing and you're looking at another american in the mix to make an olympic team this is getting to be a very full pack lead pack and as we yeah. think about that. It's going to be exciting. So my next one, which may be on your list in some form, is that this race in New York made me still very excited as I was about the American women with their results. Four in the top ten with third place, fourth place, sixth place, and seventh place. I'm still depressed about the American men, even though some people want to use the storyline of four American men in the top 10 as some sort of signal that they're there too. And I tried to listen to those arguments and tried to get myself excited about some of these results. And while I do think that New York helps crystallize the players behind Rupp in terms of who might be able to make an Olympic team, it still does not get me very excited about where they're going. And I, I'm still looking for somebody to really take that mantle and say, look, you know, I'm I'm not just going to run a 212. <laughs> I'm going to go run a 208 or 209 and potentially compete in a major like Meb did consistently at 208 and 209. And so I'm still depressed about the American men. I don't care. Four in the top ten does not excite me. What do you think about that? Um. I st- I think this I I think I'm going to disagree with you and I I'm not going to disagree with you it doesn't excite me. Hmm. So that would be a full disagreement. I'm going to say I thought this was a solid step forward. Um I was I I don't re- I agree with you. We obviously saw a much better and deeper women's field um at New York City from international field. The men's international field was soft. I remember you know, you just looked at it and went, where are all the Kenyans and where are all the Ethiopians and where, are, you know, and I do think New York City did a great job of bringing more Americans in and highlighting the American race and making it exciting. But the women's field was better than the men's field. And so Ali Kiefer's position comparative to another American, the American male counterpart in the same position is not the same. They're, they're, they were different races. Um, but I do think that we're seeing, um, unfortunately, we are still sitting and hovering at this 211-212 mark as excellent American marathoning, um, whereas we've got multiple women who are in the 221, 222, 223 range. Uh, and we don't see any of these men that I'm looking at, even Jared Ward, who is, by at this point in time, in my opinion, the prohibitive second 
position in at this point in time in terms of making that Olympic team if you're taking the Abdi getting a little bit too long in the tooth and you say Lagat is going to be kind of a, a long shot anyway. I mean, it's really Jared Ward's team not to make, and he showed his with a poor prep in the race. His coach was very excited about the way he raced on that given day and thought it was as good as a performance that he saw out of out of Jared Ward at New York City that he saw out of him at the Olympic Games. So um, I, I do think that maybe things are moving forward, but the real problem here is that it's not a move forward in time. And until we get guys that are real, guys I think are still looking at the two, 212 mark because that's how you can make a team. And guess what? The women aren't looking at the they're not looking at the 226 and 227 mark to make a team because if you run 226 or 227, you are a very outside must be bad weather everybody falls apart kind of day. Whereas any man could make the Olympic team now because there's a whole bunch of guys running 212 and that's sickening, right? Where are we need people who want to compete with Galen and that's not happening. The men are not doing that. They're looking too low down the podium and went too low down, and they're not they're well, not racing yeah, with the best in the world. They've conceded to Rupp, first of all, for sure, which which is depressing. It's like why would you concede to that guy? I don't care if he can run two hundred six. Why wouldn't you set your bar there? But but it seems like they've conceded to Rupp, and because there's nothing in between, I don't know. I just feel like they're not going for it, and. I do want to sort of back off slightly from that statement and just say I'm very excited about what Ben Rosario is doing with Scott Fobble and Scott Smith and everything that's happening in NAZ Elite. I think if there's a group that's going to have a breakthrough, that's the group to look at. Assuming U.S. Army doesn't send a bunch of guys up to the marathon beyond Quebec, who's already there. So I do want to give proper respect to that crew. This is in no way denigrating what they're working on. And I think the potential from Fobble and Smith is there to get under 210. But they haven't done it yet. And and it seems like nobody else is knocking on the door. Chris Derrick, you know, to finish 10th here. I mean, yeah, it's a top 10 at a major, which is good. But if you're a Bowerman Track Club athlete, you you got to be looking at winning medals and competing with the best in the world and not with the best, just to the best in the U.S. So I don't know. Like, to me, that's not exciting if I'm Chris Derrick at all. So anyway, that's my final takeaways. I'm still looking for the U.S. men to step up. What what will be your final takeaway on this one? Uh, my final takeaway on this is um, I guess it's a little bit more uh, overall of my our experience in New York this past weekend. New York City is an amazing place, and the New York City Marathon is a race of the greatest quality. Unbelievably well-produced, top-notch. This is the pinnacle of our sport of marathoning, in my opinion. Everything was done in the proper way. There were bodies everywhere. The race, the city comes out like no other city. The energy of the, the the expo was really well done and well laid out, easy to get to, easy to get out of. It was 
Um, we were on the course. There, there were the big problem was cabbies don't know the hell that there's a marathon <laughs> going on. You and I got that was the we, only issue. We, we had some new new traveler to New York City errors with our <laughs> not handling our own business and using the subway system instead of cabs. But I mean, it was just a first class production from top to bottom. I've always hesitated to tell my athletes to run New York City because I don't think they could run very fast there. Of course, we got a beautiful weather day, but I think I'm going to backpedal from that statement too and be like, I think athletes can run as fast. If they can run a PR at New York if they, as they can run a PR anywhere else if they're prepared and they know what's going on. And they would get that experience there. You know, the experience that Ron, the great Ron Romano had reading his post afterwards. You know, he's the the the, un, the undisputed mayor of, New, of, mayor of Central Park. Um, <laughs> and he is... Uh, and his race report was fantastic, and he had a great day there, running without his watch, you know, not paying attention to his times per- partic- particularly. And I don't know, it was just, it was a whole lot there. I've been a naysayer about New York City in general, a naysayer about New York City Marathon, and I've walked away from that, um, thinking that why should I, why should I get ready for my first major significant marathon in my life at Boston? Why not do that? Why not do that at New York City? That's a big statement. You know, why not do it at Chicago? But, you know, Chicago's nice because of the start and finish areas, but the rest of it, and it's good, well supported, but New York City was way better. I've been to Boston every year for the last five or six or seven years, and this was at least as good as Boston experience, if not better, and just, just the way it's all put on. It was just amazing weekend altogether. Yeah, I agree. I've, I've never had a desire to run New York, but now I do. Yeah, that's a that's a telling statement right there. You know, <laughs> and I I was trying to put it in words this week, comparing New York and Boston because they're obviously Boston is Boston, and I have nothing but good things to say about the aura of that event. But there's something about the electricity of the New York City Marathon that that lights up the city. That's also more inclusive in a yes, sense. Yes, I would agree. You know, broader range of runners there. You don't have this like qualifying halo sitting over it. Plus, you have more international athletes in town for it. And so you've just, it's this melting pot of humanity mixed with just an unbelievable urban environment with the best run marathon in the world. I mean, the largest 52,000 people, they set a record this year for finishers, which is 20 plus thousand more than Boston and yet everything was going like clockwork just really unbelievable but yeah the uh, it was it was just it was like the Super Bowl I mean it was like the Super Bowl of running but for every runner and the city didn't blink no I mean it, it was no. like this was is just, an, just another thing happening <laughs> yeah don't worry about on. us we're just running a marathon tomorrow whereas in Boston <laughs> nothing else is happening in that town right which is except, a cool except thing except the Red Sox which yeah. is right except the Red Sox <laughs> games but it is lower tier yeah, yeah, than right. the marathon on right. that day and this weekend that was like all of the I mean yeah there's a bunch of people running around for a marathon but everything else is going on Broadway is doing what it does all you know yeah. everything is just happening the way it normally happens it was a it, it was it was shocking the city and the way the city that city functions and yes if you haven't run New York City and you're thinking about it here are two old hats at this game <laughs> who would give it a full double thumbs up for a great race experience to go to and to participate in now if it had been thirty degrees and sideways rain spitting everywhere maybe we would have a different <laughs> opinion it was a picture perfect day that day yeah. unbelievably beautiful but. Um, yeah, it was, I was, that was my takeaway, Chris, was no more naysaying on New York City. That is a first-class operation, 
in one of the, if not the great city in the world. It was yeah. amazing. Agree with that. It does make it interesting. I was thinking somebody shared yesterday on Facebook the New York Marathon qualifying standards because I guess they had a friend who was asking. And I looked at the one for my age group, which is will be 40 plus next year for New York. <coughs> um, so, so that's 258, and Ooh. it's like 250. It's harder to get into. So I think it's 255 for for 35 to 39, and I think sub 253 for for anybody under 35 for men. And I was just looking at those standards. I didn't memorize all of them, but it did make me think. At what point will those two things start competing as those numbers converge? You know, because because you're right. It's like if the Boston, the fastest Boston standard for men is now three hours. If New York is 2:53, and I can get a guaranteed entry at 2:53 and not have to worry about a you know this whole system where I'm not sure what the standard is going to be, then why wouldn't I start going for New York? Because honestly, that experience is as valid and maybe the prestige of it is, is greater. So that to me is going to be an interesting thing that potentially plays out as Boston continues to manipulate their standards or as that new gap to the standard to get in actually changes. So we shall see. Yeah, it's uh, it, that's an interesting... I hadn't thought about it that way, and that's a really interesting way to think about it. Yeah. The final thing, Chris, I do have one more takeaway, but it's mostly right. just our sport. It's... It's real, man. There's <laughs> they, every time there's one of these huge races, it's just unbelievable what we're seeing. We, ju- you know, we didn't even comment on the fact that there's a new world record in the half marathon, um, and we haven't even for talked the men. For, for the, the men, men. Yeah. and we haven't even talked Recently, about that, yeah. right? That, that, and I mean, our sport is on fire. Um, and those of you who have been going along this ride with us, I, we hope that you're just keeping your eye on the fact that this is a sport that is a that is doing very well and the best in the world are giving unbelievably great performances at all of the major races and more and more excitement to come as we look into 2019 and then on to the olympic year in 2020 uh just just incredible time to be paying attention to our sport and to be in participating in our sport both as an athlete and as a fan and the storylines are so rich you know we got to see stephanie bruce both in the press conference where we talked to her a little bit one-on-one and at an event, a hookah event on Friday night where she did a Q&A with an audience with her coach, Ben Rosario. And that woman, I mean, she only finished only, quote-unquote, only finished 11th in this race and didn't have the result that she wanted. But the humanity that she brings to those interactions that she had with the group and the fans the inspiration that she provides and doing all that she does to try to compete with the best of the world and to believe in being able to do that while also raising a family and working with her husband who's also trying to do the same thing and her willingness to be open and share you know, challenges that she's had both mentally and physically with her body post-pregnancy and all of these things. Just the stories are so rich and it seems like we're getting opportunities to tell them more and more. Now we throw stones a little bit at ESPN this year because they showed us four minutes of the first 30 minutes of the elite women on screen, which is 
unconscionable, which is Pathetic. ridiculous. And I think 15 minutes of the first hour of that race, that is absolutely ridiculous. And that drives me nuts because that just means they're not willing to tell the stories the way they need to, to draw the interest and to explain to people what's happening. But you and I are, and there's others like us that are doing it. And so I agree with you completely. Yeah. There's, there's so much here. And I would just say as listeners who have clearly bought into our <laughs> willingness to go 40 minutes talking about the New York <laughs> Marathon <laughs> post, please. We thought this was going to be short. Please. Too. Yeah. Tell your friends, like, Get them excited and fired up and not by just telling them, hey, you should watch the New York Marathon. It's cool. But sharing with them the stories that we share with you because I guarantee you people will respond when they see it. And there's just there's so much to to say there. And I think marathons are the gateway for our sport to access that that fan who may not be interested now because it's something they can relate to. Anybody can go do a marathon. Not anybody can go compete in a 1600 meter 1500 meter on the track so i agree with that completely and i just urge our fans to continue to spread the love be fans demand more from their media outlets on this stuff and we'll continue to try to do our part for sure we didn't even talk about drugs i mean you and i looked a little our eyes were big bugged out (laughs) with mary's performance but i think you and i are both not ready to make some damning indictment of her based on that race. And here I'll we are looking at the athletes that finished that race and competed in that race. And none of them will be looking at each other and just going, Oh my goodness, this is, this is not real. Right. I mean, Mary's race was not real, but as you said, it's queen Mary. So w- what can we do? Like she, and the way that she ran that day, we saw her fail recently, right? Twice fail recently. Yeah. So anyway, the, yeah, I mean, the, all, I mean, for me, it's fairly simple on Mary Katani, which might surprise some people, given my cynicism. But if Shalane believes in Mary, which she said she did, then I believe in Mary. Like, it's pretty much as simple as that right now for me with her. Because, you know, if anybody's going to know or have suspicions, it would be her. For sure. So, you know, she stated pretty clearly afterwards, like, look, Hats off, respect, you know. So that's that's all I need to say about that right now, and we should probably get to our main topic. Okay. Do we <laughs> have to? I could yes. bathe in New York City yeah. one more. It's so well, good. Anyway. It's yeah, so good. So. <laughs> all right. Let's let's talk about maintenance. This this topic came up actually for our podcast training group, and one thing I'll say, bef- just a quick segue or, or side note on our podcast training group. Stay tuned for details. Very soon on our podcast training group, we are working, sorting through what season three will look like, but we will have opportunities for you to train with us starting at the very latest in early January for spring races from basically 5K all the way to the marathon. We're going to give you opportunities to train for 5K, 10K work, do speed development, train for a half marathon, train for a spring marathon. And so... Stay tuned for info on that. We'll definitely be adding more people to our already 100 people in that group. But the reason we got to this topic was because we have some folks in our podcast training group that have finished their races with us for this fall. And we're asking about what do I do between now and say January when when I might be ramping up to another cycle. And so 
we wanted to bring some of those thoughts to you and just say, okay, if I'm between cycles or maybe I just need a break where I'm not training for something specifically, but I'm still trying to maintain fitness, what do I do? What does sort of a maintenance plan look like? And But before we go down that path and get more into the specifics, I wanted to first sort of start with actually where we finished our last podcast for the podcast training group and basically say, now, as you're going from race to race or thinking about what your next race might be, we want to encourage you, first of all, to think about what interests you, you know, what's exciting, but then also what do you need physically? And we've talked about this in terms of macro cycle planning before on this main podcast, but we are believers that it's not a good idea to go consistently from marathon to marathon to marathon to marathon every five to six months. You need to work in all energy systems, work on your half marathon time at some point, work on your 5K and 10K time, get back to the marathon. And so we're encouraging diversity in your planning as it relates to your goal races. And if you've done back-to-back-to-back marathons, then consider either switching gears and doing a shorter distance Or potentially going into a little maintenance period where you're trying to figure it out, but still maintaining your base, still maintaining fitness. And so that's part of what we want to talk about today is how do you deal with those gaps and how do you also go into a place where you you can give yourself flexibility about what you might do coming out of it? Anything to add there, Steve? Nope. As a preamble? I mean, basically the only thing I would say is my preamble is my preamble is also the major point from the very beginning, which is. All of this presupposes that you're going to take a break. And we're not going to go into that today about what the break specifically looks like. We've discussed that, I think, a few different times. But please hear us. We're not saying you finished your marathon on Sunday at New York City, and then on Tuesday you're getting ready to do your first quality workout, right? No, you still need to take your break. That's my preamble. A break is essential and necessary of taking two to three weeks away from consistent focus training and um we've talked specifically about kinds of things that people can do the way they can get back but the most important thing is that just making sure that everybody does know that as we're discussing this just like when you start a new fitness program they always say what go get go get the okay of your doctor what we're saying is make sure you took your break after your command performance and but all this will be predicated on the fact that number one you finished a command performance at some point in time recently. And number two, there's a command performance probably likely someday in your next 6, 12, or 18 months, right? Yep. That's where we're starting, really. Yep. Okay. So then from there, I want to talk a little bit about, before we go into maybe some specific details of a maintenance plan, I want to talk more about the parameters. You know, what would a maintenance program look like? How might that be constructed? The first one I want to point to, because as we talk about often, miles matter. And so if you're going to be maintaining fitness, then you need to be putting in the miles. And so if I'm in a maintenance phase in my training or I'm advising athletes in a maintenance phase, the number one thing I try to do is mimic as closely as possible the skill the days I'm going to work in a normal training cycle, you know? So if I'm in a maintenance sit- situation, I'm going to run typically all the same days I would normally run. Some people, I think, think of maintenance and they think, oh, 
that's an opportunity to do less. And it might be from a total mileage standpoint, but I like to encourage consistency in the routine because then that allows you to flow into your next cycle more easily. There used to be a time, Steve, when I was early in, or young in marathoning or young in really training at all, where I would gear up for a race, have a big command performance, get my PR in a marathon, and then promptly do nothing for three months. <laughs> and then I would, after three months of that, I would pick another race, sign up for it, get motivated to do it again. And this in Texas would often be happening in the summer when it's miserable to run anyway. And I would go and then start completely from scratch on a 16-week program to go build for another marathon. And what I found was I wasn't getting faster because I wasn't maintaining that consistency year-round. And so, yes, while we should have breaks after our command performances where we might take a week off or two weeks off or even three weeks off, after that break, it's time to get back to the routine. And so, to me, parameter number one about a maintenance routine is that it should look very similar in terms of the days you're working as you would in your normal training cycles. Now, the mileage might be different and in the context of the way I work. My miles might be... 15 to 20% less potentially than I would be at peak marathon mode, but I'm still running the same number of days I normally do. So my 10 milers on a Monday might become an eight miler on a Monday, or I let myself be have a little bit more flexibility there where if I get up and I wake, I wake up and I want to feel like doing 10 miles and I have a training partner that wants to do 10 miles. I'm excited about that. Then I'll do it. If I'm like, eh, eight miles is good. I get an eight. Sometimes I might even say during those periods, I'm just going to roll for six today because that's all I'm feeling like. I give myself that flexibility, but I get in the six days a week that I normally get in. To me, that's sort of parameter number one on maintenance is you want to try to keep your routine as closely as possible. Yeah, and I'm going to just jump off of that to the next point, which yep. is, but continued also to keep your up weeks and down weeks. I think this is another yep. very important thing. So this is just extending Chris's idea that, yeah, you keep you basically keep working every week. To set, you keep working the way you normally do on a day-by-day basis. But we also think you should be doing this in this the same context of keeping your up weeks and your down weeks. If, if you're two weeks up, one week down, two weeks up, one week down, continue to keep that pattern. These patterns are really, really important to the way our bodies learn to adapt over time. And it's how we get the physiological benefits over time trying not to make too much of a change up. Now, some of you may just want to, you're not disciplined and you want a little bit of undisciplined process. That's fine, but just take a month or two months to do that. I would highly suggest that folks get back into weeks up, weeks down, up weeks and down weeks as they think about patterning and their transition and their maintenance, because this is the way our body learns to recuperate and also how our body learns to get the benefits from each of our training phases. So, just jumping off on that same yep. basic concept to saying not only would you structure your daily or weekly schedule, but you would want to schedule your weeks and months in the same way. Yeah. And what we, you know, as we typically recommend, we recommend your up weeks or your down weeks be 10 to 15% lower than your up weeks. And so you could maintain that cadence throughout a few months while you're doing this maintenance plan, which also means that from a, from a mileage standpoint, you know, you should still be in a pretty good spot. You might be more flexible. You might end up, 
you know, a little bit lower than your peak mileage from a marathon cycle or from a half marathon cycle. But ideally, you want your mileage to be relatively high and consistent. And as a part of that, mean that you're still getting in your long runs. And so I know people are going to (laughs) be like, I just pause because I know they're like, what? What does that mean? (laughs) And again, I mean, it's like I didn't I don't think anybody would expect us to let them off the hook for long runs. But I think sometimes we get in that mode where when we're not in a cycle, we think we don't have to do long runs. But really, miles matter. It's all about aerobic fitness, aerobic development. And if you're in a maintenance plan, you better be doing long runs. And whether you are long term planning towards a marathon or a half, the the mileage might vary a little bit. But not really that much. I mean, if I'm in a maintenance mode, I'm still cranking out 16 to 18 mile long runs. I won't do a 20 mile long run typically in a maintenance mode, but I'm, I'm cranking out 16 miles, 18 miles here and there, giving myself some flexibility for those, those Saturdays where I'm just not feeling it or whatever, but, but mainly still cranking out the long runs. Yeah. I mean, sorry, sorry. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm a believer that if you're going to go back to the marathon within the next six months to to 12 months, there should be a, probably an occasional 20 miler in there because you want to keep that, you want to keep that moving. But, um, you know, I used to not say that, Chris, I used to be very adamant, don't go over 16 or 18 miles ever, but I'm just beginning to see so many of the best in the world, what they do. And they're, they're, they're 20 plus miles nearly every weekend, almost all the time. Not that we're telling everybody to do that, but just that um, it's very good to keep in that habit. And uh, there's just something very different about a 20-miler as opposed to an 18-miler. I don't know why. It just feels like you've those two diff- miles difference is just a, a game changer. There's a real difference. And it's good to keep your head in that space and keep your body moving that way. So, no, I'm not saying a 20-miler every week. I'm just saying occasionally in that month to six-week window, don't be afraid to pop one of those long run, those runs a little bit longer. And we have to appropriately caveat that we also, even though we're talking about examples that relate more specifically to us as individuals, you got to also relate it to where you are as an athlete. And if 10 or 12 miles is long for you, gearing up for whatever distance you might be training for, then that's what we're talking about. We're talking about consistently still getting back to cranking out 10 or 12 miles every week. If, you know, or not every week, but in a cadence of up and down weeks that, that makes sense. And so that may be bad news for some of you, but that's going to help you to continue to develop your aerobic system. And then when you're ready to go back into your cycle, you're, it's so easy to ramp up. Yep. Okay. So the next thing is it's important to maintain quality <laughs> as a parameter while you're doing this. But I'm going to put sort of quality in air quotes because I want people to understand that. And we're going to give you some example workouts that you could do during a maintenance period. Quality should be more about economy, keeping the lights on, draw, you know, keeping it interesting for you, not being bored, working different systems, working a variety of systems. Then it should be about any specific goal. And, and this is an opportunity where you could do some workouts without your watch on, which I know is going to blow people's minds as well. Cause if it's not on Strava, it didn't happen. Right. But, 
but we're going to give you some fartlek workouts and some things you could do completely by feel that will help you potentially not only keep the speed, but potentially unlock some speed that you didn't have because you've been too focused on your watch. And so while we're going to give you some example quality workouts, they should be fluid. They should be by feel. They should be all about you feeling good and not beat up. You should never finish any of these feeling like, you know, things got ugly. You know, this should all be in the vein of sort of keeping you interested, excited and feeling good as you try to maintain speed before you get back into a more specific cycle. So before we give them other exam or example workouts, Steve, what, what else do you have to say about that topic? Just, I'm just reiterating this point, but it, it do work, but don't have intent too high. You know, as Chris said, watch a watch. Don't toss your watch or give yourself more flexibility or move a pace group or two back. What we're doing, we're just going to be asking you with these workouts that we give you um, just to keep your Tinder dry. Make sure that we're ready to, to, to light it up. You guys, so frequently, my athletes that I coach, they want to they want to run a 5K off the cuff. They want to do a turkey trot when they haven't gotten in ready for anything. They want to hop into a half marathon with some friends. And, uh, you know, invariably, it comes up as a fun and easy, no pressure, no expectation kind of um, offering that they'll they'll make to me as their coach. And then in the week prior to it, they want to taper and they want to do other things. And so if... It, it, I, that's why we kind of do everything all the time with our groups, Chris. That's why we're always kind of working on a little bit of everything so that, and you should do the same thing as you're looking at your workouts here. And we'll give you a few in spe- specifically, but it's so valuable to continuing to see your long-term development play out. We aren't getting ready for any specific thing, but you are getting generally ready and you will fought for other things, for everything, and you are generally getting ready for that next command performance, whether it's six months, 12 months, or 18 months down the road. And um, it also makes it a whole lot less boring, Chris. And it, it's much easier to stay in the flow of things as well. I have athletes with, that work with us with Team Rogue who will take these, um, these breaks and they won't compete for something, but they still show up to every workout. We adjust their paces appropriately so they're not feeling they're stretched too much. And frequently people will come out of these phases, Chris, almost fitter than they've ever been because they haven't been, they haven't been burying themselves with every interval session that we provide for them. Yeah, there should be no burying (laughs) in a maintenance mode. So let's give them some examples and then we'll kind of talk about some other things to think about in a maintenance plan. And we gave our podcast group three examples. These are all workouts that you can do in an hour, roughly an hour's time frame. All could potentially be done completely without a geekometer. In fact, we would encourage that mm-hmm. is to literally do these by feel. So what are the three workouts that we gave that group? So the three workouts we gave that group, um, they're really simple. The first one is what we call a true tempo or a 20-minute tempo, and that is a 20-minute warm-up and a 20-minute cool-down, and then 20 minutes at your half-marathon goal pace, or a, a another term, which is very important for people in their maintenance phase, a term that I used to use all the time, but I haven't used as much because I get so many questions about how to define it, or a steady run, which is... Mm-hmm 
comfortably hard. And steady, the reason I use the term steady very frequently is because athletes that I coach, when I say half marathon pace, feel like that if they're two seconds off of their half marathon pace, then they failed in the workout. And um, we know enough about the way that um, our bodies adapt to threshold work that uh, with being within 10 to 15 to 20 seconds even of what you're hoping to run for your half marathon um, can be extremely valuable from a physiological standpoint. So the key thing there is just comfortably hard. It could be half marathon effort. It could be half marathon pace or preferably what we like to use is the term steady during this time of phase, which is just comfortably hard. Keep it at, keep it at where you're doing some work, but you're not doing too much work. So that's one option. The next one's a little more tough, but you can adjust it any way you want to um, because the term I'm going to use again is one that we uh, use frequently when we're talking with beginners or with people who are in maintenance phases, but not so much when we're talking about um, in your specific preparation for a half marathon or a marathon or a 10K, and that's the term fast, Chris. Like, what is fast? <laughs> um, but the workout here is 20 minutes warm-up, 20 minutes cool-down, just as we talked about, and then it's 20 minutes of alternating one minute fast with one minute easy. And in this case, fast is something approximating your 5K pace, um, but something that gets you lifting up onto your toes, shifting your mechanics, dropping your elbows back and pushing your forearms up, and you're getting into a fast, a fast and flight kind of motion where you're pushing the pace, and then you get one minute where you take it really easy and slow down, and then another minute where you pick the pace up. A lot of times with this one, this tw 20 minutes, one minute on, one minute off, um, one minute fast, one minute slow, I like to tell folks that they should use this kind of as a progression run, Chris, where each one of those minutes... Um, they sort of work their way into faster and faster and faster rather than straight off the bat absolutely fast. But just what we're trying to get to the point here is enjoy the run, feel like you're moving through space in a fast way. And, it, it, and any of you who have raced any time recently, or if you're listening to this point in time in this podcast, you like to feel fast. This lets you stay in touch with that opened up fast feeling. It has another thing too, Chris. One minute is very hard to recover from. So you do get a good hard effort and you definitely will be checking in with the kind of work necessary if you do pop into a race here or there occasionally. This workout's golden for that. I would always say, hey, if you're, think, if you're on a maintenance schedule or a transition schedule and you've got a race coming up in two weeks, this workout done 14 to 10 to 14 days before your, your fun race is a great way to sort of blow out blow out the uh, the pipes and get the jets flowing and get your body feeling right so you so you can uh, kind of get an appropriate effort base for your race, whatever race distance you're running, if you're going to run hard at that race. So that's the second one, Chris. So um, and the third one really is associated with our long runs. And this one is basically 20 minutes at the end of your long run with a fast finish or what we love to call a close. And that means you're closing out whatever long, if you're doing a 12-mile long run or a 14-mile long run, whatever it is, you, you run really easy for um, however dist whatever distance you have to. You're about 20 minutes away from being finished with your run. And then you pick the pace up slowly but surely, gradually progressing a little faster and a little faster and a little faster till at the end of that, t that long run, you feel like you're moving and like you're closing out the way you would love to close out a race. Chris, these three workouts... You pick them and choose them. You move them in. You move them out. They, they hit all the energy systems that really need to be hit. 
They're flexible enough to be done in a pretty short period of time. They're easy to be done and they don't need a track or a road, a, a specific track or a specific facility. They can all be managed just off the cuff with a stopwatch alone and not even with a, gar- a Garmin or a Geekometer. So these are the three we recommend. I mean, we could go on for days yeah, with a wide variety of workouts. Of but yes. the idea is if you're going to maintain, pick one day a week where you throw in a little bit of quality. You know, I don't think you need more than that. The only other piece I would remind people about is is doing weekly strides in addition to this kind of quality work where you would, after one easy run, do four to six strides at the end of another easy run during the week. So keep it simple. You know, Execute one of those three workouts one day a week. Do your normal routine running easy the other days and then add some strides after one of those other easy runs plus your long run. And boom, you have the skeleton, at least, of a good maintenance plan. Now, the next thing I want to talk about, well, related point that I wanted to talk about, you referenced a bunch there, Steve, is this idea that when you're in maintenance mode, it's a great time to pick a race distance that you don't normally do, probably in the 5K to 10K range, and just go sign up and just do it as a sort of a workout. Even if, you th- even if you think of it as a progression run or something where you start a little bit easier and then, you know, try to pick it up at the end, that's okay. But go out, mix it up, try something new, have some fun with it, do something without the pressure of a command performance. And we've seen sometimes when our athletes do this, they have a breakthrough that they weren't expecting because they had no pressure on it you know in some ways that's why i think jared ward was top american in new york (laughs) because you know he missed three weeks of workouts because of an injury he was dealing with so he kind of came into this almost dropped out of the race because of injury and you know the race and his coach sort of said hey now give it a shot let's see how you feel he stuck with it and ultimately ended up being the top american i think primarily because he had no pressure no expectations he said look i haven't had an ideal builds a build so if i have a bad day, it's okay. And I think that's something that can happen in a maintenance plan. Not only does it give you that opportunity to get outside your comfort zone and try something different, but also you might surprise yourself. And if at a minimum, it'll double as a workout. Absolutely. I mean, racing is, low-key racing is such a, it's such a great thing to do. I, I want to make sure that I reiterate here it needs to be low-key racing. Low-key. <laughs> yeah. Don't, uh, this is the problem that I run into frequently is then yeah. someone, as they approach the race, they, they want it, they think it's going to be, you know, this is going down on their permanent record, right? Yeah. This is going to be, they're no going to be held, ac- they're going to be held accountable for this 5K or 8K or whatever distance they race. It's, it really should be more low-key and have fun. And that's what our sport's about. Not every race is a command performance, which is why we call them command performances. <laughs> Okay, now the next thing I want to talk about that I recommend in a maintenance situation is to pick one other thing that you're going to work on or add into your routine that you're able to experiment with in the context of a maintenance routine without the pressure, without the stress, without the structure you might have in in a command performance training cycle is to pick one other thing to work on, whether it be adding a little bit of strength into your routine, whether it be spending more time in the foam roller, whether it be going to yoga and seeing how that might affect how you feel related to your running, maybe working in some 
cross true cross training aerobic element like swimming or cycling into the mix to just see how that makes you feel i think this is a perfect opportunity to to think about that one thing or it could be something where you're playing with your nutrition a little bit your your everyday diet to see if you can manipulate that in a way that makes you feel better this is a perfect time to experiment with at least something with other elements but i encourage you to focus on one element don't try to do eight things or three things or five things pick one thing that you think might be good to incorporate into your next official training cycle and just experiment with it play with it commit to it for a short period of time and see how it makes you feel absolutely it's just you nailed it now one nuance there or caveat i would say is that if you do add something like a strength program into the mix then I would encourage you to make sure that you're going to stay in maintenance mode for at least a couple of months to figure out how that strength routine affects your running because that's something I think in particular, I think that and diet would probably follow in the cate- fall in the categories of you need to give yourself a little bit of time to kind of figure it out, to get it built into your routine, to start seeing the gains, to see how it affects your running it before you really roll into something else. You know, if you're doing a four-week maintenance plan, that's probably not the most optimal time frame to build in a big strength routine because you're just not going to see the impact soon enough. <clears throat> okay. What else am I missing here, Steve, as it relates? To, oh, well, I know one thing, at least, which is that this is also the perfect time to work on your mental training game, <laughs> right? I mean, it's been, what? a few episodes since we may have mentioned that, but this we believe is always the perfect time to, and it, and it might be that one thing you work on that, that isn't physical, that you just actually work on your mental training piece, refining your purpose, spending some time practicing visualization, actually incorporate words of affirmation as a tool into your everyday living. This is a time to, to, really practice or refine or work on that piece. And obviously we have said this until we're now blue in the face talking about it, but it is such an important thing. And I think a maintenance period is the perfect time to really focus on it because once you get back into a more concerted, rigorous cycle, it's hard. It's especially good to do this, Chris, when you're on your quality days and your long run days. Because when you're in your preparation for a command performance, those days play such a big, they play into such a, to how your mindset is going in your training. And if you can practice it under circumstances that are a little less, uh, where the result is a little less disconcerting, let's say that you have a, a struggle with, a men, with your mental game, um, it's a lot easier when you're not in your main block of training and it's a lot easier to get yourself into and out of trouble in those times and the nimbleness with which you'll gain that you will gain from you working on these mental training techniques and not having too much skin in the game on them allows you to be a lot more a, a lot more able to respond to challenges and negativity and this will pay out play out in your in your best interest over the long term as well as you begin to realize that what you thought maybe was a bad day isn't really a bad day how many times chris have you had conversations with your athletes who were demoralized or distressed because where that bad workout came in, and I'm putting air quotes around the bad, where that bad workout came in just seemed to them to be really indicative of them not being able to have a great race. 
And if you're working your mental game also during your maintenance period or your transition period, you begin to get much more clear on the fact that, hey, this is all a part of a long continuum and a part of a process. It's not one given workout or one given moment. It's going into a long process. So yes, I think that the mental training is crucial and critical. It's also really a great time, Chris, I think maybe the best time to work on a statement of purpose because you aren't feeling the pressure of that command performance weighing on you. Um, and a lot of times you've come right out of a, a successful command performance or a or an unsuccessful command performance. And, you know, within a month or so, you're still in a really good position to be in touch with either one of those two emotions. And Chris, here's the thing. So much of what we talk about with the emotion, with, with the mental training sort of takes emotion out of the, of the equation. And there's no way you can take emotion out of this. What you want to do is being, being in a position where you are able to either view your emotion from a, 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 a nuanced distance or to be able to trust your emotion enough to help you gain an upper hand on wherever your mental game might be going. And so that's a lot easier to do and a lot easier to work on when you don't have a major command performance staring you in the face in the next two months or three months. Yeah, absolutely. Now, I think we can wrap this up because it's really not that complicated, <laughs> this kind of maintenance plan, which is getting your routine that you normally do. You don't necessarily have to sit the, hit the same mileage, but run the days you normally run. Get in your long runs. Cycle your up and down weeks. Do a few fun key workouts here and there. Jump in some races. And just keep the wheels turning because I want to iterate, reiterate the importance of this kind of a block to helping you build your long-term or for your long-term development because it the more you can minimize gaps in training, the better you can be. The more consistent you are month to month, year to year, over a long period of time, the higher you will get to in this sport. And so, so the next time you're thinking about just taking a couple of months off before you gear up for your next race, we would encourage you to jump into something like this as a maintenance plan to maintain fitness instead. The last point I'll make, Steve, and I'll throw it to you for any final thoughts is make sure you have fun with it. You know, we've obviously talked about some structure and some specifics here about what you need to think about and do. But ultimately, if you're not having fun with it, if you're not taking it with a little bit of, you know, a, a sort of casual attitude, a little bit lax, giving yourself that flexibility to kind of mix things up here or there or do less mileage or try some new things then you're missing the point as well because this should also be a, this should also be a time where not only do you maintain fitness but you come back mentally refreshed to dive more specifically into a dedicated block so make sure you have fun with it too and connect with community this is a great time as well to reach out to the local running club that you might be in um, our good buddy Greg Mackin decided to start up a, a running club in his neck of the woods because he was at a time where he wasn't focused on his command performance. He has Boston coming up, but he knew he wasn't racing in the fall. So he he doubled down and is giving back to his community, his local community from a running perspective. Um, it's a great time to switch and transition away from one coach to another coach if you are being coached. It's a good time to, to, to create other connections through running that are not dependent upon um, 
getting your very next session in and making sure that you nail that next session. As you said, Chris, it should be an enjoyable process. And sometimes we forget that as we get really close to races because the pressure that we feel um, outsizes um, those expectations from the process of running itself. And it's really important for everybody to remember that this is a long-term process. And um, it, it, we are all doing this. Most of us are not doing this for our day job. We're doing it for, for fun. Um, even you and I, we're not actually running for our day job, even though running is our day job, right? <laughs> so, yep. All right. So there you go. Get after your maintenance plan. If you just finished a, f- a big fall race, and follow some of the tips in this one. So we will wrap it there. This has been episode 99 of the Running Rogue podcast. As always, you can check us out at roguerunning.com or follow us on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook at Rogue Running. Until episode 100, we'll talk to you soon.